Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. But I'm excited to continue our uh, sermon series, Miracles. Uh, Let Him Be Known, where we're looking at seven miracles in the Gospel of John, and more than just considering the physical manifestations that are happening, you know, the the healings, the breakthrough, and whatnot, all these kinds of like crazy miraculous things, um, we're taking a chance to look at what's happening behind the scenes. What happens to someone's heart? What happens to their cultural implications? What happens uh, to their minds as they process different identities because of who they were before Jesus and what they've received and who they're stepping into? And so um, it's just been a really cool series. I don't know about you. Sometimes I read through a narrative in the Bible where it's about a miracle, and then I'm like, sweet, Jesus did that superpower thing again, and then I just move on to the next one. And um, what I'm loving about this series so far, and what I hope you get out of today, is that there is just so much depth and richness as we unpack these stories, as we take a moment to consider the characters at place, and I think all of a sudden we see, ooh, maybe I fit into these narratives a little bit more than I thought I did. I might not be a blind man sitting on the side of the road waiting for healing, um, but I've got some really similar circumstances or things I've faced, things I've felt and experienced throughout my life. And so this sermon series is really helping us um, try to consider a little bit more what's going on behind the scenes in each of these narratives. Um, Today we're going to be preaching out of John chapter 4, uh, verses 46 through 54. If you've got a Bible or if you've got a phone that you want to read along with, feel free to turn there. Um, It's also going to be on the screen behind us. If you're jumping in with us, um, we kind of had an awkward week last week. We skipped ahead all these miracles we've been considering in like chronological order throughout the uh, gospel of John, but we kind of skipped ahead, now we're going back. So this is technically like Jesus' second public miracle at least accounted for in the Gospel of John. So um, where we just left off in the kind of timeline of the story is that Jesus uh, turned water into wine at a wedding, and then he left because his hometown was not being super welcoming and loving towards him. And so he left, he goes to Samaria, he has this interaction with a gal and with a community, and then he decides, all right, I'm going to come back to Cana now. So that's where we pick up here in John chapter 4. Verse 46 through 54 reads, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you have preserved it, how it is alive and relevant for our day and age today. God, your scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that we can be equipped to do every good work. Help us love you and love others because of this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, there's a lot happening in this story here, seen and unseen. Uh, first, Jesus comes back to Cana, where he had performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. Jesus left because he was not being well-received by some religious leaders and by some overly zealous Jews. In John 4.43, the writer references a quote that you can read in Mark 6, where he says, Jesus says a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now, a lot of us have a love-hate relationship with our hometowns. I know I do, at least. It doesn't matter how much you've grown up, how much you've been through, how much you've matured. When you go back into your hometown, you're bound to run into somebody who all they remember is of who you were when you were younger, when you were less mature, when you were not who you are today. And it can be really hard to shake some of those feelings and some of those ways that people talk about you or all of a sudden you're kind of like, come on, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm not the kid that you knew me growing up with. And so a lot of people leave their hometowns because it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to kind of start fresh. You don't have 18 to 25 years of baggage to kind of hold over someone. And then like, you know, the adult that they've turned into now, you, you can actually look at them with like a clean, non-judgmental slate. And so this, this is doubly true for Jesus, the Messiah from God, who grew up as a real child around real families and in a real town. And as much as Jesus was probably like the most model child we could ever imagine or consider, um, a lot of people are going to see him doing these miracles and hearing his preaching, and they're going to be like, yo, wasn't this like Mary and Joseph's kid? Like, now he's telling me how I should live and that I need to follow him and he's doing these crazy things. Like, it would make a lot of people really uncomfortable. So Jesus lets some of the buzz die down and he travels away so that things cool out a little bit. But then he decides to come back to Cana. Jesus has become a big enough deal that the news of his arrival spreads to some of the surrounding towns all the way out about 15 to 20 miles to a town called Capernaum, where we find a man who serves as an official. Now, someone who serves as an official is someone who directly serves and administrates for the Roman government. This man is a leader. He has influence. Um, He is probably wealthy. He has status. He is a royal official. And so sometimes when you think of official, it can just kind of be another character in there. This is a man of influence, a man with position, with status, a man with tons of resources and things that he could turn to when he's running into a crisis. And he's got a crisis. He has a problem. His son is very, very sick. He's near the point of death, and out of desperation, he chooses to make the 20-mile journey to Cana to find Jesus, this miracle worker who's starting to create quite the buzz for himself. Not an easy trip. Um, We can't just hop in his car and go down the road. Um, This is a day-long journey, and traveling in the ancient world was notoriously dangerous. Um, You and I could probably go on a 20-mile walk today and not run into much hiccups or problems, Um, but 
for the ancient worlds, this was not the case. A lot of times you'd start to get out to the wilderness. There'd be a lot of people waiting to take advantage or to rob you or all sorts of different terrible things. And so this man decides to go on quite the journey because he's desperate and he's willing to do whatever it takes to save his son. He finds Jesus, and Jesus critiques not only his approach, but the approach of everyone around him. That verse there where it says, unless you see signs and wonders, a lot of translations have said, unless you people see. It's, it's kind of understood that this isn't just a shot at the official here. It's kind of this whole crowd that's been drawn to Jesus because of his miracles. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus was becoming known and popular for his miracles, but he was causing a lot of problems anytime he started to preach. People loved to follow him for the power he possessed, for the breakthrough and the miracles he could do, but they turned their back on him when he started talking about the kingdom of heaven that he was bringing to earth. The official begs Jesus to leave with him to go back to heal his son. Now, many scholars know that culturally, uh, it was known that if there was a miracle worker in your town, um, it was probably assumed that they needed to come with you to physically be present at the site of the miracle. There weren't many like known instances where someone from 20 miles away could be like, he's healed, you're good, go home kind of thing. Like It was pretty known that like if there's somebody who has some sort of divine power or divine influence, the thought was like, I have to bring them physically to the sick person, uh, to the issue, in order to experience the breakthrough here. So this, this man is pleading with Jesus, please come back with me so that my son can get healed. But Jesus assures him, go, your son will be healed. And this man believed Jesus, and he decided to head back 20 miles uh, to his sick son. And at some point along the road, he runs into some of his servants, um, we don't know if this is like at the halfway point. Maybe he made it most of the way back. Just at some point in his journey home, he runs into his servants who are like probably sprinting to him to deliver this news that like your son is healed. Something miraculous has happened. He's starting to get better. And they're able to piece together that the son began uh, feeling better at the exact hour that Jesus had told him that he could go home because his son would be healed. And this spark this like it, it sparks this faith that just increases in this man, and then it spreads into enti- his entire household, it says. And like we've seen in the other two miracles, there's more going on than just the physical healing happening here. Is it miraculous and powerful that Jesus can heal this kid from 20 miles away and just speak a word and this, this boy is healed? Absolutely. That's incredible. I don't, I don't know anyone else that can do anything like that. So that is powerful, but I think there's more going on in this story. And as I read and studied this, I really, it just got to a point with me. Sometimes we read scriptures, we read a passage where we feel like, I didn't get that one. That one didn't really click. I'm going to just move on. I don't really, I don't need to think about this one too much longer. It didn't feel very relevant. As I thought about this and as I felt like God was just, leading me through my study of this. It just was like, this is one that I think we can all relate to on some level. And so today we're going to unpack three lessons as we consider the official's uh, faith. And in the context of our mission today, or of our message today, um, we're going to define faith as trust or belief. We're not talking like 
saving faith in the sense that like this guy's making a decision that Jesus is Lord and kind of thing. We're talking about faith just in the concept of like, I believe you. I have faith in what you say or who you are. And so that's what we're talking about. Anytime we're talking about faith, you could swap that easily for trust or for belief today. So the first dynamic of faith to observe from the official is that the official had imperfect faith. The official rightly believed that Jesus was the person to go to for this issue. News has gotten out that Jesus has this like unusual power to heal people that have been sick, to uh, turn water into wine. And so the man makes the right decision. This royal man, man who has access to the best medical care, the most amount of resources, the top of the line doctors and physicians to find assistance for his son. I'm sure he pursued them. I'm sure he checked with those kinds of things first, just as we often would. But eventually he faces a moment where he needs something more powerful or someone more powerful. Jesus is the right person for the job. He is the right person to turn to in this instance. And as we consider our own circumstances and situations that we might face, Jesus certainly is the one that we ought to turn to when our back is up against the wall. He wants to be there, he cares deeply, and he has the power to meet the needs that you are facing. And too many of us try to face difficult moments without turning to our God who does indeed care and is able to intervene throughout moments in our lives. When I entered into college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do or what I wanted to study. Um, it was just kind of felt like culturally, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go get a degree. I'm supposed to be equipped to join the workforce and all this great stuff. And truthfully, too, my, my parents had said I could live at, house, at, the, at their house for free as long as I was in school. So I was like, that sounds great. I'll do this. And so I enrolled in the local community college. And I was just kind of doing your basic, like, back core classes, your math, your writing, your communication, things that I knew could be plugged in to any program that I would eventually find some sort of interest in. I took some chances at specific classes. Um, I started doing, like, some of, like, the, you know, the further on writing classes. I tried psychology. I tried history. I tried world religions. I couldn't find anything that I enjoyed. And as time went on, I was unable to find a program or topic that interested in me. And I began to perform very poorly in these classes. And before I knew it, I found myself on financial probation, looking at like the very real possibility of losing like forever eligibility to get government assistance to go to school. And I didn't come from a background where I had any other option. No matter how hard I tried, I could not motivate myself to improve. I couldn't find something that worked. I mean, and I was, I was an athlete in high school. I was really disciplined. I had always been someone that, like, I could work myself up to be able to accomplish something that I really want to do. And all of a sudden, I just couldn't do it. And I was failing class after class after class. And I was sitting there with my parents mad at me, uh, thinking I'm going to get kicked out of my house. And I knew that if I disqualified myself from financial aid, it would probably impact me for the rest of my life. After a year and a half of pressing on and trying to make things work by my own strength, I finally got in a rhythm where I started praying about it. I finally brought it to God, and I asked him to help me, give me wisdom. What, what are my options here? What am I doing here? And through that season in prayer, and through the help of some other people that I think God really divinely brought along my side, 
God started to stir a vision for my education where I would go to be equipped to be able to be a pastor someday and to work for a church. I had grown up with kind of this call on my life that I was supposed to be in ministry. And it was, you know, it was there, but it wasn't a big deal to me. And I was like, you know, God will bring that along someday. And it was finally like God was like, no, we're going to start taking some intentional steps towards figuring this out. And so, uh, by God's grace, I was able to transfer to Northwest University on academic probation. Um, I was, you know, when I applied, I wasn't, and then I failed another class, and I had to call the admissions person and be like, "Ah, I just failed the class. Are you sure I can still come to your school? And uh, by God's grace, they they took me in. Um, I received the greatest advisor and mentor that I ever could have imagined in um, one Dr. Dr. Debbie Lambray, um, she's now my uh, program dean, the, my boss there at the same school that I work at now. And um, I would end up going on to graduate with honors and getting to complete a master's program. And like the official, when I stopped trying to figure this out on, by my own means, by what felt right and what I felt like I was supposed to do, God brought in something into my life that I wasn't qualified for that I certainly didn't deserve, that I hadn't earned, but he opened the right doors for me to be able to walk into his plans and purposes. And now I'm an adjunct professor. I teach at like the place that I was the least qualified to be a part of. God's grace was crazy. My own strength was never going to get me there. And I trust his grace is still sustaining me to this day. My role that I get to have in that place there today is still a work of God's grace. It's still something I don't deserve. I was unable to do it by my own strength, but God changed something in me when I pursued him instead of pursuing it by my own means. Perhaps there are areas in your life where you are trying to find hope and purpose. Maybe it's a career or a college decision. Maybe it's difficulties in your social life your families, maybe you've been facing physical pain, disabilities, issues, medical issues that you've been fighting through for years and years and months and months, and the temptation is to keep pressing into earthly resources, thinking that we're going to find our miracle, that we're going to find our breakthrough from them. When Jesus is right there saying, hey, how can I help? I'm here. I care about your situation. I care about what you're going through. Why haven't you brought this to me? You want to stop trying to do this? on your own. I'm here. I've got you. Jesus is available for you. Now, as much as the official makes the right decision to find Jesus for the solution, uh, we find that there is a flaw to his faith. He's come to the right guy, but both the official and the crowd that had surrounded around Jesus is critiqued for basing their belief in faith in the accomplishing of miracles. Jesus is critiquing them for treating him like he's just some genie in a bottle. They weren't interested in his preaching or in his message, but they want to receive the miraculous things that he can do. So when their back is up against the wall, they'll go find Jesus. They're not really interested in discovering who he really is, the fullness of what he's called us into and what he's trying to do. You and I are not so different. I don't know about you, but I have noticed on particularly difficult weeks where my prayers just end up feeling like, God, I need this. God, this is so difficult. And God, I just, can you do something about this? And before I know it, I'm just constantly spewing my needs to God like he's some panic button. But then I was in there being like, 
I spent any time thinking about things I'm grateful for this week. I haven't spent any time in the words. I haven't spent any time listening to some worship music and praising. God's just been a genie in the bottle to me this week. Jesus invites people to pursue him not just for his miracles, but to know him for his heart and for his mission and his purposes for individuals and for the world as a whole. We're missing something if Jesus is only a miracle worker to us, if he's only this panic button that we turn to when things get too tough, where we crave his power, but we have no desire for his commands or his ideals or his visions for the world. The official reminds us, yes, God is the one we should turn to, but he also reminds us of who we're turning to. God deserves more than just your bad days and your moments when your back is up against the wall. The second point I'd like to consider about the official's faith is that he exemplifies faith without sight. Now, remember I shared earlier um, that it was culturally thought that a miracle worker would need to be physically present in order to heal or perform whatever miracle they've been invited into doing. Based off this understanding, it makes sense that the official asks Jesus twice in this story, please come with me. He says, come down, which is referring to the geography of the area. Um, Capernaum was lower elevation by a lake, and then Cana is higher elevation. So not only is it a 20-mile walk, there's also now a hill involved. That's a great thing to invite Jesus into. Um, But he really believes that there is a specific way that Jesus has to answer his problem and that it it would be done by physically traveling all the way back to Capernaum. We read that the man requests Jesus to come with him twice, first in verse 47, and then again after Jesus' rebuke in verse 49. Praise God for his grace that sometimes he rebukes us and we're still a little stuck on something, um, that he, he lovingly walks with us even in those moments. The fact that this man receives a rebuke and then goes right back to, okay, I need you to come with me. Um, God is so gracious and good, and he works with imperfect faith. Amen? I don't know about you, I'm, I'm grateful that we can approach a God sometimes with the wrong attitude, with the wrong posture, and he loves us and he cares for us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to find the faith that has reverence and respect and trusts him. But I'm also so gracious that we love and serve a God who has grace, who has mercy, and who still answers imperfect faith. This man was convinced that Jesus needs to come with him in order for his son to be healed. But Jesus says to him, no, you go and your son will live. Now, we don't know what's going on in the mind of the official upon receiving this command from Jesus. As far as the text goes, it seems pretty natural that he just goes. But can you imagine being in that guy's shoes? Your last sight of your child was nearly dead. And Jesus, you, you have this cultural understanding that Jesus is supposed to come with you in order to receive this miracle. And now Jesus says, you're good. Go. He's going to be healed. Just walk home. He trusts Jesus, as the story says. But can you imagine just the mental wrestling this guy has to do? You know how far I walked to get here so that you'd come back to do this? I've heard about what you can do. I've come to the right place you want me to walk 20 miles back? That's going to be a day-long walk. That's going to be the longest walk of my life. 
having to trust that just because you said, hey, he's going to be healed, that I can just go? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably being a little bit more stubborn. There's probably a couple more lines of me saying, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I walked all the way here. This is my, this is my son. I need you to come with me. This man has faith. You see, you and me, we always think we know the perfect solution to our problems. God, if you would just do this in this person's heart to make that situation right. God, if you would just do this so I don't have to face this financial reality. God, if you would just do this or that, everything would be fine. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus didn't have to answer the official's prayer exactly like how he thought it needed to be done. It turns out, God works on a different level. He works from a different vantage point. He sees things differently than you and I do. And that's good. I don't know about you how many times I've walked into something thinking, it's got to go this way, it's got to go that way, and then you see the solution, and you're like, oh, that was the right way. Why did I think that I had the right answer here? Jesus had the right one there. God works on a different pay scale than the official and you and I. He operates on a different level, one that sees the nuanced and complex pieces of the world around us, and he has solutions for the things that we need to be made right and good. It's easy to say in a given moment that we believe God's ways are higher, that his wisdom superior to mine, but when you're facing that 20-mile walk down a hill, all of a sudden, that gets real. I have to put this into faith here. I have to take a step or two or a few thousand in order to get back. That's scary. Man, wouldn't that be a hard walk? And I'd like to think that I would do it, that I would just trust God. But when your back's up against the wall, it's something you really care about. It can be really hard to take steps forward in faith. The official believes Jesus, and in the process of having faith without sight, the official gets to have his imperfect faith healed. He's coming to Jesus, who is the right person to go to, but he doesn't get to be the genie in the bottle where he says, you got to do it this way right now. This is what I need. This is what you got to do. No, instead, he has his faith healed where Jesus now is the one who says, I've got this. Whatever the means look like, whatever the road ahead of you looks like, I've got this. You can trust me. You can walk ahead in faith. Will you and I have that same kind of faith as we continue in our journey of following Jesus? The final point that I want to consider about the official's faith is that it became a faith that inspires. At some point in his journey home, he found his servants on the road journeying to find him, to tell him uh, this update, this news about his, his son's healing. And I can only imagine the kinds of like feelings that would well up as like you're walking back, you've, you've trusted on some level, but how many of us know like you can trust something but still have some anxiety about it and still have some discomfort about the realities and then all of a sudden you see a couple of your servants go over the hill 
what are they going to tell me? I knew I should have made him come with me. I should have left a day earlier. What's going, what are they going to share? But they share remarkable news. That around the seventh hour, which we would call 1 p.m., his son's fever had lifted and he was recovering. He's probably hugging and celebrating in this moment and it just like clicks in his mind. Wait, did you say the seventh hour, 1 p.m.? That's exactly when I got to talk to Jesus yesterday. That's when he told me to just head back home. That's incredible. And in this moment of realizing Jesus' faithfulness to accomplish his plans and purposes, it says in verse 53 that he believed again. It reinforced what he knew to be true about who God was and what he said he would do. We sing that song, Evidence, all the time. It's become a cool anthem for our church in a lot of ways. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm not Pastor Chris. He can, he can come up here and he can sing it to you all. I'm not going to sing. Uh, but we sing it. It says, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. And when you and I choose to reflect on the ways that God is moving in the world around us, it serves as evidence that inspires and builds us up. It strengthens our faith. It strengthens us so that the next time that we find ourselves in a really difficult situation, we get to stand a little taller. I remember when I faced this before. My God was faithful. My God is trustworthy. My God is good. I'm not going to be hurt by this like I was last time. I'm not going to be quite as anxious as I was last time. And there's still a healing process in that. You're never going to be perfect in how you respond to circumstances and situations. And again, that's why I'm grateful for God's grace in this. But as you and I intentionally reflect on the evidence of God's goodness around us, our, our faith is strengthened. Our trust builds as we see and we remember who God is and what he can do. And family, I need to warn you that Satan wants you to believe there is no evidence of God's working in your life. He wants you to forget about what God has done. He wants you to be overwhelmed by your experiences and your hardships. He wants to distort truths and twist what God did in a moment so that you think it's a coincidence or that you think, did that even happen that way? Keep watch over your heart. Near the end of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, he pulled aside one of his closest disciples, Simon Peter, who you might just know as Peter, Jesus warned him. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. The enemy wants to tear apart your belief in what God has done and what God can do. He wants you to grow skeptical and fearful and worried. Be intentional to recount the evidence of God's work around you. Build up that faith and see what God is doing because he's trustworthy and he's true and somebody is trying to rob that from you. But even more than just the official's faith being strengthened, we read in this story that his entire household comes to belief in who Jesus was because of this miracle. Faith spreads from just in the official's heart to those around him. Because of what Jesus has done, it's so undeniably powerful that it forces other people to take a second look at Jesus and say, oh yeah, nope, I saw the kid. 
I saw where they were at. I saw how close we were to just calling this thing and moving on. Nope. That guy, Jesus, he really must be who he says he is because he did something really powerful in this moment. And if you've been following Jesus, you have stories of faithfulness in your life that are powerful and not just for you to keep to yourself. When you talk about what God has done, how he's proved himself as trustworthy and true and good because of your life experiences, you point others towards a solution that they need to. The faith that is in you has the opportunity to spread to your family, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, or what we call your spheres of influence. But you have to share it. You have to be willing to talk about it, to be bold, and to say, this is what brought me hope in that really difficult hardship. This is what got me out of that. I don't know about you, too many times in my life, I sit there and give too much credit to myself, especially to people that I think might get weird if I start with all this Jesus talk, talking about this powerful prayer moment that I had or something. You know, I'll just I'll kind of dull it down a little bit. People need to hear these miracles because they will spread and that faith will build and develop in other people. Like the official, go and tell your story so that Jesus would be glorified and that faith might be inspired in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, or anywhere else that you might find yourself. Worship team, you can come on up. As we conclude, there are a variety of next steps uh, for us as we consider this text and what I believe God wants to do for us. For some of us, it's time to stop treating Jesus like he's this genie in a bottle. Panic button that you turn to on your worst days, on your, on your tough weeks. But otherwise, you'd be totally content just pressing on and trying to figure out stuff for yourself. Your God has the power, and he is available to intervene in your moments of, of difficulty and, and, and the challenges and struggles that you face. But you should also seek Jesus for his heart and for his vision and for who he is, the fullness of who he is, not just someone that makes you has a way that is right and good, who is doing something much bigger than you and I could ever fathom or experience. We need to turn to God and trust him for those things. We need to turn to him and believe the fullness of who he is, not just this miracle worker. Sing praises when you wake up or when you're driving around in your car. Pursue maturity in your knowledge of scripture, growth in your discipleship process. Learn to be reflective and to express thanksgiving and praise to God and see what he does. See just this fullness of who God is unveil right before your eyes. It would be a, a beauty and a majesty that's so much more powerful than just going to someone who can just solve your problems all the time. For some of us, it's, um, we're being challenged today to have faith in areas that we can't see. You've been walking on a path, or maybe you've been held up expecting God to answer something in a very specific way, and that's what faith looks like to you. You do this, then I'll believe that you're, that you're in control. Then I'll believe that you've got this. Jesus is inviting you to say, no, will you go? Walk on in faith and trust that my ways are higher than yours. I care about your circumstances. I care about what you're facing. I'm going to do what's best for you. 
because I see this whole puzzle piece, this whole story that you don't see. You see your part, and you think you've got what you need to figure it out and what the perfect answer would be. Jesus says, no, will you trust me? Sometimes after a a big hype moment, maybe at a conference or a great worship night or something, you know, faith can feel like this. It's, it's like just the sun is illuminating everything in the world. Like this just big faith moment where it's like nothing could knock me off my feet today. I got this full picture and beauty of who Jesus is and nothing's going to stop me. I think most of the time, walking with faith is like walking with like a dim flashlight in the darkness having to trust God one or two steps at a time, just trudging along, trying to do what we can, when we can, to remember, he said this, I'm gonna believe him, I can trust him in that, even when I can't see, even when the road is 20 miles long and down a hill, I can trust my God because he's faithful. And finally, some of us need to continue reflecting on and sharing our faith with others so that it would inspire ourselves, so that it would continue to spread all throughout the city. I like to believe that the hope that's shared in these walls and plenty of other churches in our town is like the best kept secret in the city. People need to hear these stories. They need to hear about your powerful experiences with God so that they can taste and see who he is and experience his goodness in their life. If you and I have a life where we walk in faith, not just in the big moments, we're going to get to change this city. We're going to get to see more and more people who've experienced darkness come to the light. We're going to have resilience and endurance and faith for the challenges that we face. And God is going to be glorified as we proclaim his name, as we see that he is the one who's doing these things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for this story. We're so grateful for your grace. Thank you, God, that we can be like the official. We don't have to approach you perfectly. We can mess up. We can be messy, sloppy. God, you welcome us. We thank you for that. Too many of us, God, think that we've got to get everything put together, that we've got to have this right, and I, I've had to have read my Bible and spent my time with Jesus this many times, and I'm too, too embarrassed, too ashamed to go to him right now about this. God, I thank you that you're available and that you care about us. Help us, God, to care about the fullness of who you are. You're not just a genie in the bottle. You're not just a miracle worker. I praise you that you do intervene in our life, but God, I thank you that there is something else available in and through you. God, I thank you that you're challenging us this morning to walk, to, to have faith in dark moments and heavy circumstances. Help us trust you. God, we proclaim in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is our helper, that you are available to help us do this. This isn't about us putting on everything that we need to to make it work and strengthening ourselves like we would in a, in a weight room or God, you have decided to step into our world and to help us, to help us trust you in that. And help us, God, share this good news so that we would have faith and endurance as we continue in our discipleship journeys and that others would know about the good things that you're doing in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.